0: Hey everyone and welcome to the Fidius Club. This is episode 119 and we talk to Sean about what it means to be a minister. And welcome back to the Phileas Club. In this show, we cover the news from the past month or so. And we discuss it with people from different parts of the world. We get different opinions, different perspectives, different backgrounds. And we try to tackle the news from those different backgrounds. And hopefully, we all learn something in the process. Uh, My name is Patrick Beja. And uh, (laughs) the uh, phone ringing in the background is that of Sean Coons, who's joining me for the first time in forever. And I'll get to you in a second. I just want to say, today is not a regular episode where we cover the news. It's a special where we talk to one person about one thing, and that is essentially being a priest. And I understand you're not a priest, you're a minister. But uh, we're going to be talking about that. For me, it's all the same. You're, basically, you talk to God and tell us what we should do. Right, that's how it works.
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you just kind of ruined the whole episode there. <laughs> Thanks for listening.
0: <laughs> well, before we do that, there are going to be a couple of things. Um, first, we're going to indulge in a little bit of nostalgia with with Sean because we've been friends for a very long time, and uh, I want to reminisce for a second. Then uh, we're going to be I'm going to be talking about the yellow vests uh, for a bit and then, not too long, but then we're gonna dive into the show. So, Sean, I haven't spoken to you in forever. We used to podcast all the time together, and then for some reason,
1: we stopped. We did, yeah, that that was back in the day when I was like a a D minus level podcasting celebrity. (laughs) And yeah, we did a little show called How I Wow for about a year, and that was fun. We got to talk talk. to lots of interesting people, and you and I got to talk, and sometimes it was about World of Warcraft, and at other times it was about whatever the heck we wanted to talk about.
0: That's true. You even came on the Phileas Club once, I think, when we were talking about atheism, or not, no, I can't can't remember, but you were on the show once or twice, uh, and then I got a real job, and then you became busy with your family, um, which, by the way uh you're aren't you supposed to be celibate like isn't that i it's it's weird what you do uh Uh,
1: yeah yeah we we can get into that
0: yes we will we will um and so we'll we'll talk about all of this but uh you've been doing okay i hope everything fine the children Uh, growing up
1: yeah like i say when we started this i think i was uh uh, the father of a a three year old when we did our podcast uh today i'm I'm the father of two teenagers and how uh, old is ben uh Ben my son uh is thirteen and he 13. is in seventh grade oh my yes. god
0: it was it ten years ago i guess it must have been because yes. yeah, the yeah, i got my job eight jeez yeah
1: we uh we he came downstairs well, well, after waking up today, and my wife says, "I think he's taller than you. He's he's almost as tall <laughs> as me, and he may be as tall as me now. I'm I'm six foot, and he's Jeez. almost six
0: foot." Okay,
1: uh, I have a daughter who's also thirteen, but she's by adoption from Ethiopia, so that's why they aren't twins. And if you saw them, you would realize that
0: that they are that they are twins indeed. So, uh,
1: oh, I don't
0: twins. know if you say her name. I was going to say her name. I did say Ben though. So. I'm sorry. Is that okay? Um, well, yeah.
1: Okay. Birdie is her name.
0: Okay. Well, there you go. And uh, we might we might touch on that as well during the episode. But I'm really glad everything seems to be going well. I'm a bit sad that you left the podcasting community, but I'm looking forward to our discussion and uh, the reintroduction of uh, Sean Coons to the to the world of podcasts. So we're gonna do that in a little bit. Um, and. Before we do, I did want to say a few words about the Yellow Vests. Um, if people don't know, it's a, a series of protests. It's a group, a spontaneous group that has uh, appeared in France. I say spontaneous because it doesn't follow a political party. It's just a group a, a, a group of citizens um, that organize on Facebook and that are very unhappy with the current government and the current uh, economic situation. And uh, I'm sure many of you have heard about the essentially Riots um, that happened last week on Saturday in Paris, just near my house, actually my my uh, uh, studio uh, apartment. Um, I, le- I I I made the choice to uh, get a very a, a tiny place in a very fancy part of town, and uh, of course it's near the Champs Elysees. And the Champs Elysees was essentially. Uh, a battle zone last Saturday. There are a lot of questions about what's going to be happening this Saturday. Um, the <laughs> so, I, I will make a uh, short report uh, for the patrons. So, if you support this show on Patreon, which, by the way, you should, you'll have access to this early Um before everyone else does uh, early next week, and I want to wait to see what happens this Saturday before I do that, but essentially for people to understand what it is um it's it's a lot of people that are that didn't benefit from globalization, just like uh the people who are unhappy in the u k in the u s you know the u k gave the brexit and in the u s it gave the election of trump, um which both were completely unexpected um Our president dodged uh, essentially a bullet with the last election and now the bullet has reappeared. I'll go into more detail uh, in my report uh, for the patrons in a few days, but they are very unhappy about a lot of things that are difficult to pinpoint, um, but they are also... um, shining a light on the situation of some people that are essentially invisible uh, to everyone in uh, society, in the media, and that we're discovering now uh, is exists in France as they do in every country and that are the fuel of the nationalist movements everywhere. And uh, in France, it takes the form of, you know, the far right and the far left, but neither of those... Parties uh, managed to rally up the troops because they—they they just happened uh, about a month ago um, through social media organization, voicing their opinions and the origin—the origin of the discontent was uh, an increase in fuel tax which has since been cancelled but of course it's hard to put the genie back in a bottle and um, it might lead to significant changes in the government in the way we uh, conduct politics in the country and so it's not all dark it's not all uh, white Um, of course the violence is is uh, uh, unconscionable, or at least it, it is uncon. Uh, uncondonable and no one condones it including most of the the representatives of that movement which doesn't really have official representatives which uh makes all of this very complicated to follow um it's more akin as i said last episode to something like occupy wall street where it's just a bunch of people unhappy and you don't know who to talk to what they want specifically etc cetera, etc cetera. so it's the same kind of difficult situation to um resolve and I'll go more into the causes and what I think is going to happen. And I, but essentially, what I want to point out is that it might be a good thing that this happens now if we can fix it or if we can try to alleviate it and not during an election. Uh, and I will argue that point a little bit further um, when I do my report. So uh, That's about it for the, the Can universe. I ask you a question, Patrick? Oh, sure. Please
1: do. Please do. So I was trying to educate myself. As I told you before, I was trying not to be the ignorant American and, and understand. You know, you said yellow vests, and I thought it was something with the Tour de France or, or something. <laughs> Isn't there something yellow? A yellow shirt? Is that yes, right? Yes,
0: yellow shirt is the okay. first place for the... Tour de France, yes.
1: But this isn't like a gathering of former Tour de France winners that are rioting, right? (laughs) Uh, No, I don't think so. They might
0: be Tour de France uh, enthusiasts, but I don't think they all won. There's like hundreds of thousands of them, so it's doubtful it it would be.
1: Okay. So so I'm reading up and, and understanding that part of it is this fuel tax that has to do with climate change that may disproportionately affect uh rural folks and, and folks who may not be able to afford it. But there was one line in one of the articles I read that said something like that they were protesting for broader tax cuts and oh, shoot, what was the other thing? And more not and more benefits or
0: Yeah. So the problem um you know it's something that I think no one really saw coming uh except those who profited from it. Um and it's the Issue. I don't think it's an issue of straight-up objective um poor situation. Obviously, it's a lower it's the lower social classes that are affected, but if you look at things, you know, from uh uh let's say uh, um basic well-being, they have food, they have shelter, um, and it might be difficult for some of them to reach the end of the month without being in the red in the bank account. But mostly, you know, they don't starve, right? And they don't Mm -hmm. die of illness. So it's not like um, uh, there's a plague that is decimating some people or that uh, uh, they're they're dying of famine, right? That's not the situation. And I think I was guilty of this a few years ago thinking, well, you know, everyone is being lifted up, up in society and... And so it's, it's, it's good for everyone, right? And what I didn't realize that I've since realized, partly thanks to this show and talking to different people and exploring different ideas, is that it's not... The, the problem isn't who is objectively uh, better off. The problem is the distinction between those who are very well off and those who aren't. And uh-huh. the disappearance or the, the thinning of the middle class. And I think... This is my theory. I'm sure many others have uh, uh, said something like this uh, and come to the same conclusion. It doesn't matter how how much you survive or even how much money you have. If you see that someone else has a lot more and you feel like you're being disproportionately impacted by uh, uh, issues, then you're going to be pissed off. And that's human nature. That's survival. Like it's it's a survival instinct. It's Scientifically proven that fairness is an innate human sentiment. Uh, you you feel like, and I could talk about different studies and different experiments that prove this, but essentially, if you think you're getting uh, 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 the short end of a of a stick of the stick or of a deal, and there's no discernible reason for it you're going to be pissed off. And that's why in stable societies, you need a very strong middle class. I've talked about this before in this show. Um, you can't have very rich and very poor, even if they're very poor, you're thinking, well, what are they complaining about? Mm. They can buy smartphones. They have big TVs. They have like... It, and, and some of them don't. Obviously, I don't want to, you know, diminish the idea or, or convey the idea that those people rioting are all, you know, driving mercedes cars and and like uh living in luxury it's absolutely not the case some of them are in very difficult situations but if you see that some are some people are getting all the money and you're getting the scraps no matter what the scraps are you're going to be unhappy and i think that's what's been happening everywhere um and, and that's what's happening here as well so what do they want they want the system to be less unfair um and that, I think, whether or not you think is leg- it's legitimate, it doesn't matter. We need everyone to be in the middle class. If that means lifting up some people or bringing down some people, that's what you need to do. Because if you don't, then you're going to have a, a social unrest everywhere. Um, and the social unrest is going to take different forms. But yeah, I think that's, that's the conclusion I'm at right now.
1: Okay, uh, that's, that's interesting. Right. I'm going to have to give that some thought. They, uh, that idea that no matter where you are, how well you're doing, if it's unfair, you're not going to feel. You could be doing very well or or moderately well, but if there's unfairness, you're not going to be satisfied.
0: Right. And I think that echoes something that – I think it was Newt Gingrich who, who said uh, something like that before the election of Donald Trump – and it was talking about, you know, facts and, and uh, sentiment. And he was saying, you know, people feel like whatever it is, you know, there are too many immigrants or they feel like they're, they're uh, uh, worse off than, they were, than their parents were. Or, and the, the journalist arguing with him was saying, but that's provably untrue. You know, standards of living have risen, uh, uh, you're less sick, you're less, uh, more literate, you're more rich, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And Gingrich answered, yes, but they don't feel that way. Or it was something like, but they feel it's it's uh, uh, the situation is different. And at the time, I kind of laughed it off. I was like, what is he talking about? They don't feel. There's reality. It doesn't matter what they feel. Reality is this or that way. And that's truth, right? But what we're seeing now is that the way people feel matters a great deal, even if, if that sentiment isn't um, isn't. And, and it's a little bit of a different thing, you know. But yeah, it, yeah. Uh, I
1: mean, what's interesting in, in that situation is that the unfairness is directed down with with your Trump supporters. It's not directed up towards the upper class, towards the rich. It's directed down towards the immigrants and and people who are different and, and minorities and and me too folks all these people who are keeping me the average trump supporter from i would i would be a millionaire if it wasn't for them i would be like these rich so people. i don't
0: i don't quite agree i think there is some of that of course um i think there's a a, a, a mixture of some of what i'm talking about and also an issue with identity uh, in the U.S. especially, uh, identity politics plays into this. In France, a little bit less. It's it's more a matter of pure immigration. Um, but I would argue that the sentiment that fuels even more of the uh, um, right in the U.S. right now is also uh, targeted at the elite. And I think there's a distrust, disregard... For the and there, you know it's two similar ideas in this at the same time in in one head or two opposing ideas uh, because obviously Trump is part of the elite right. but it's not
1: financial elite though I would say I think it goes hand in hand in the mind of many people ah, right? I I would I I read I can't remember this is several years ago I read a really interesting article that said or maybe it's a Twitter thread probably that, that a lot <laughs> of the Trump supporters especially the poor Trump supporters consider themselves and the phrase was temporarily embarrassed millionaires
0: i think there might be some of that sure um but i was talking about class and Mm -hmm. and the elite the the west the coastal elites are seen high uh, you know upper middle class or or upper class and i think that's what they resent more and maybe it doesn't i'm just talking out of my buttocks here, but maybe it doesn't take the exact form that I'm talking about, but I certainly think that it's, th- they look at people who are well-off, educated, um, uh, you know, and who think they are better, and that everyone should join their uh, class, kind sure. of. Sure. And, and they think, well, we are not part of that, and the gap is widening, and we don't like it. And we don't like you. So I think there's a lot of, anyway.
1: Right, but if you happen to be the the, the owner, CEO, or executive in Hobby Lobby, Chick fil A, Walmart, someone who's you know made your way, pulled yourself up in your bootstraps, and now you have a billion dollars, I don't think there's that. I don't. I think you're given a pass by a lot of folks. Sure. Versus yeah. if you're the Harvard-educated liberal Hollywood elite.
0: Yeah, I mean it's not a hundred percent scenario
1: but i think you know i it's... want it to be black and white patrick let's just you know <laughs> remember I'm, I'm i'm a religious guy it's only exactly it's only, yeah. uh, god's way or
0: or, or the highway
1: any shades of gray
0: <laughs> well you know what let's talk about that uh a little bit more let's get into the actual uh show itself and talk about you sean because you, subject. Were, <laughs> you were uh, joking that you didn't want to be the ignorant American. Um, I'm going to be a little bit of the ignorant atheist here. Uh, and because I don't even know what the difference is between you and a priest, uh, the Catholic Church is very complicated. Um, so you're mm-hmm. a minister. What does that even mean? Like, where do you stand in the great... Uh, map of religions.
1: All right. So, so I'll, during this conversation, you stop me if I'm being too simplistic, you stop me if, if I'm assuming knowledge that, uh, and I'm speaking churchy. So I'm going to paint broad brushstrokes here and your, and your listeners can reach me on Twitter and tell me why I'm wrong, but you have Christianity, a couple billion people, and you've got three main flavors of Christianity. You've got your Catholic church, got your Orthodox, you know, Eastern Orthodox, and then you've got Protestants. So, so far,
0: I understand what you said.
1: All right, great. I'm in the Protestant tradition. Now, within that, you've got all sorts of different things, and I don't know how important it is to go there. You know, we can talk a little bit later maybe about evangelical versus not. That may be interesting or not.
0: So evangelical are, are people who want to evangelize and, and bring the word of Jesus to other people and convert them.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, essentially, yeah, it's going to be your more conservative, um, especially politically in America. Nowadays there, there's questions on whether evangelical really relates, how much it relates to Christianity and how much it relates to politics and culture. Um, but, so yeah I, i'm in the protestant tradition i am i am in uh, a presbyterian minister the specific denomination there are lots of presbyterian denominations flavors within flavors uh, and mine is presbyterian church usa uh, where a couple million folks uh, gathered together in a structure that we have a, you know a, a a government system within our church uh, and i as a minister can't do whatever i want my church can't do whatever we want um, but we decide together. It is not like the Catholic Church, that's hierarchical, where the pope what the pope says goes. Uh, we vote at every level, from the church up to our national level, on the rules we follow and beliefs and things like that. So,
0: so what does Presbyterian stand for? I mean, what does it mean to be Presbyterian as opposed to Evangelical? Or are there Evangelical Presbyterians? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So what does it mean to be Presbyterian within the Protestant family or flavor?
1: Um, It comes out of the Reformed tradition, which comes out of the Reformation. So Martin Luther was the Reformation. Then there's a subset of that, which is the Reformed tradition, John Calvin, Zwingli, some other folks— um, I don't know how far to the weeds we need to go there. No,
0: but I mean, what what in in you know ideas, policies, standards differentiates yeah. you from All right. the the
1: easiest way to start is is our church government. Uh, as I said before, at every level of our government, we ha- we take votes. We go right, Robert's Rules of Order. It, in some ways, it's similar to United States government. Um, there were several Presbyterian ministers who signed or. Er, Maybe several John Witherspoon is one of the signers of the Declaration of Independence. He was a Presbyterian minister. Some people say the U S. system was partially based off Presbyterian government. Uh, I think that's just blowing smoke up our ass, but I'm uh, sorry. ooh I shouldn't say that. You minister. said a bad
0: word. <laughs> um, so you're, I, anyway. I, you're you're liberal, right? You're yeah, yeah, you're a liberal guy.
1: personally, I, I'm liberal. Politically, theologically, although I have some interesting quirks here and there that don't fall quite in line. Uh, my denomination, Presbyterian Church USA, we are more slightly left of center as well, although that depends on the church. Okay. Um, one of the things about being Presbyterian is, at least our particular flavor of Presbyterian, is we don't say you have to believe these five things. You, you know, these are what you have to believe in order to be Presbyterian. Uh, the way when i when I'm kind of explaining it, the way I say it is is think of a uh, soccer match, a football match, if you will. And uh, you have a field, and there are things that are inbounds and out of bounds. And no matter where you are on that field, as long as you're in bounds, you're good to go.
0: But uh, what defines per- your
1: inbounds? sure. and and for for Presbyterians, we, kind of have that. All the lines are kind of fuzzy, hmm. but you don't have to be right here on the field or right here in the field. You know, you can be way over here, you can be way over here. So, um, And the way we define it is um, through creeds and confessions, um, historic statements of the church going back to the Apostles' Creed, you know, you know, going back 1,500 years or more to statements of today. And we we have I think we're at 11 right now over the last 1,500 years or so. And we say these are are kind of snapshots. These are pictures of what the church believed at certain times. And some of them are two paragraphs. Some of them are 20 pages. And we say these are snapshots, and they reflect the historic beliefs. And we affirm the church in these moments. Now, we don't hold exactly to all those. One of them, the Scots Confession, says that women shouldn't baptize babies. Um, We don't believe that in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, women can be ministers as well. But we say th- these kind of hold up the essentials of what we believe. And so we'll, bra- we'll paint in broad brushstrokes. So if let's
0: start with the big stuff. I'm okay. guessing you have to believe in God in order to be part of your
1: church. Right. So I teach... Uh, we call it confirmation class. It's when usually about somewhere around teenage years, we have uh, kids in the church and we invite them to consider joining the church as full members that they're old enough to understand what it means in the Presbyterian church. We, we baptize infants um, and cause we believe, you know, theologically speaking, we believe God takes the action towards us, that it's not so much about our response to God that, that, God is, is sovereign is the word we use, and that—sorry, uh, we're going to go into salvation here, and and we—that's a loaded word as well, but—
0: No, that's but fine, that's
1: fine. Yeah, but essentially, uh, um, and I will say salvation can mean many different things. It's not just, you know, you get to go up in heaven and get your wings and harp and fly around, but— um so what we believe it's uh, well, God we're not so big at least my branch of presbyterians on like converting people because we believe you know God created us God loves us and God will deal fairly with us and lovingly with us in life and death and after death
0: Okay so I'm uh, first I think you're touching the mic a little bit it, we can hear it oh, so if
1: you can sorry.
0: All right Um but I'm going to take you to task a little bit you're you're being very evasive uh, and I'm going to ask you some hard questions, okay? Please do. Uh, do you think there's uh, sin? Do you believe in the cardinal sin? Do you think there's uh, a soul that goes to heaven? And do you think there's hell? You know, these big essential ideas of the church, which, I mean, you didn't answer my question, but I'm guessing, yes, you have to believe in God to to be a Presbyterian— um, Yes. yes. What follows from that, right? What follows from that is going with
1: that. I would say even I'll even get a little more specific on that. Um, So when our when our kids join the church, one of the the one kind of thing I say, there's one requirement to join the Presbyterian Church: you have to to say that you believe in in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Okay. Now, then I go on to say, I'm not going to tell you exactly what Savior means. I'm not going to tell you exactly what Lord means. I'm not going to tell you what you have to believe about Jesus. Now, here's where that that field comes in. If you say, well, I, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. I think Jesus is an alien who hails from the planet Theta millions <laughs> of years ago and wants me to make eric- palm trees. Christmas lights, right. then I'm going to say, you're probably out of bounds. You're probably not Presbyterian. <laughs> and now I'm going right. to say, and I think a lot of Presbyterians will say, that doesn't mean you're a bad person. It doesn't mean God doesn't love you, it just means you're not Presbyterian. Okay. For us being Presbyterian is not the same as being Christian. We we recognize all sorts of different traditions and we recognize there may be many paths to God. This is the one we know and this is the one we're we're more certain of, so we're going to teach it, but maybe there's other ways to God.
0: So but we still the, the ultimate goal is still to get to heaven if we're a good person, isn't it?
1: I would say no. I well, mean, maybe not that, the goal, that,
0: that is, but what happens after death? Do you go to heaven?
1: I mean, that, that's the traditional teaching in the church. But if, if you go back through Scripture, and as you go back through the teaching of the church, there, there, are, there are many different understandings of this life, of the next life. You know, A lot of Scripture talks about the kingdom of God here on earth now. Uh, a new heaven and a new earth coming here. You know, the, the idea is that the traditional understanding is there. there's a body and a soul, and our souls are just temporarily inhabiting our bodies. Uh, one of the things we teach in, in Presbyterian tradition is that you aren't a body and a soul. I mean, what are we without our bodies? I mean, that is us. We we are being just created. And so, no, it, and part of Scripture teaches, and depending how literally you take it, that you know, we will be resurrected bodily, and, and we will have our bodies in a next mm-hmm. life. Um, now, like I say, I I tend to be more kind of progressive Christian, and, and I think a lot of this is uh, human understanding of, of divine things. I don't believe the Bible is the words directly dictated by God. I, I believe it's people who had real encounters with the divine and with the community of the divine, which sometimes may be more important, and they tried as best they could in human ways to pass that along to us. Hmm. So, so you, I'm not going to—go ahead.
0: So you, you, you think that the Word of God and the Bible are interpretations of something that is difficult to explain?
1: Yeah, something that is real, but difficult to explain, if not impossible to explain.
0: So you don't know that there's a heaven our souls go to after we die if we've been good? Yes. Yes, that you don't cool. know. Yes, okay.
1: Right. Hmm. So, I mean, let, the, yeah, no, yeah. I, I, I've preached a number of funerals. Um, that's a regular part of my job. Uh, and, and what I say is that, you know, God created us all. God loves us all. Um, if if death is a river we cross over, God owns the land on both sides, and there's nowhere we can go to escape God. And and the one who knows us and loves us will always deal mercifully and lovingly with us wherever we are in life or death.
0: Okay. Some people, does God uh, relinquish his love for some people if they're being really, you know— Uh, I I keep using the words good and bad I'm sorry it's obviously a simplistic way of looking at it but for the sake of of the argument if we're being bad does God think well maybe when you die you don't go to the cool you know other side of the river that I own you something else happens to you you don't do you have to earn your place in at God's side
1: all right Patrick you have a child right I do all right. What would make you stop loving that child?
0: <laughs> so far, um, I was going to not, be... not necessarily not
1: liking that child. Like, <laughs> right, I, right, right, right. I have two teenagers. <laughs> what would make you stop loving that child?
0: Um, I guess it would have to be seriously, seriously bad. Like Hitler level bad or Paul Potter, or whatever. Uh, and even then, I understand where you're going.
1: Yeah. I mean, I get, I guess that that's the image I come back to is uh, as of a parent. Um, I will never stop loving my children. Now they could do things, you know, this morning I'm, I'm reading the paper. We had a school shooting uh, less than a year ago, about 10 miles from here middle school kid walked in and then shot up and that's going through the system. And I wonder about the parents. Well, how do the parents feel towards their kid who mm. you know tried to kill people? Um, I bet they still love him. Now they can' can't stand their his actions, and they're going to do everything they want, hopefully, uh, a loving parent would, out of love to to have them see that. But you know, if we're if we're talking, let's go, let's let's go to hell. I, i'll I'll go firmly on record with a lot of Christians, and actually, this goes back as early as Christianity. There, there, There's no way a loving God is going to say to someone, "I'm going to punish you eternally." Mm. That, that's just silly. Okay. Now, people will argue with me about, "Well, you don't know what holiness means, and God is holy, so can't abide sin." Like, like holiness is is matter, and sin is antimatter, and if the two get together, there's some Star Trek level explosion. That's that's <laughs> just silly.
0: Okay. Um, all right. So, I think I. I kind of i'm starting to uh see some vague contours of your uh system of belief i'd like to take a step back for just a second and kind of ask you um how did you decide maybe some more practical stuff how did you sure. decide you wanted to be a minister and in asking that i will kind kind of take you to task again because you know i like video games uh, it seems you've kind of taken the easy mode of uh, being uh, uh, of wearing the cloth because where I come from it's mostly catholics and they don't you know they have to be celibate <laughs> they have to like there's a bunch of stuff but celibacy is the one that comes to mind um you get to have sex you have children you have a family uh that's that's some people might say it's cheating but leaving that aside for a second um i'm bringing it up because i'm wondering if that you might have taken a a different path if if you know wearing the cloth might have meant you have to forego all of these things but how did it happen did you were your parents religious did you hear god speak to you one day uh how did you decide to become a minister
1: sure that's that's a a good question uh my parents weren't uh, essentially religious my uh My folks were divorced when I was two. So I lived with my mom growing up and we, we didn't go to church, uh, but we knew which church we didn't go to. (laughs) So, um, uh, and, but somewhere around my junior high middle school years, that's sixth, seventh grade, I got invited to a youth group at a Presbyterian church. So a weekly gathering where a bunch of middle schoolers come and, and play games and be goofy and, and there's also some, some kind of Bible study and worship going on.
0: So that's how they get you. They invite you when you're young and malleable. And they tell you, hey, or have fun with your friends. Also, have you heard
1: about God? That, that's it. That's it. <laughs> those, those devious Christians.
0: Damn it. I, I want to make, you, to make you answer in an outburst of anger. And clearly, I'm not going to manage.
1: Uh, no, you, you're, you're, you're going to have to do better than that. <laughs> All right. So th- there are ways to do it. Maybe, maybe I'll give you my triggers a little bit later. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so yeah, I started hanging out and it was a lot of fun and I tolerated the Bible study and worship part, but after a while, I'm like, okay, yeah, this, this sort of makes sense. And I will admit you, you are malleable when you're young and if, if other people are doing it around you and especially, you know, some people, you know, they had a lot of, college students as volunteer leaders and they were really cool to a, a seventh grader. So, yeah, I mean, am I Christian because that's, that is the best choice, you know, and I would have been Christian no matter where I grew up in the world. Now that's silly, but it is what it is. And But for me, I, I think one of the reasons that I became Christian became a minister and stuck with it is the community. I mean, there, I believe there's something incredibly important Uh, About a community of faith, and I will say about any community, it's not necessarily just Christian or just religious, but there's something important about a community—a community to support you, a community to you know have fun with, community to fall back on when you when you are in a time of crisis, and for me, a community to act as some sort of guiding moral guidance, have have some authority, and for me, that's why it's a religious community that's important to me. I I I like that sense of authority, that sense of one of the things about uh, Presbyterian tradition is we believe that we're kind of tainted by sin, if you will. And one of the things that tainted is our judgment. And so we don't always know right from wrong on our own. And <laughs> I can look at my life just period growing up until now. And totally, I i don't always, I'm not always the best judge of of what's right and wrong in a given situation. So one thing Faith does, and especially a community of faith does, is help you kind of find some common world ground. So, anyway, all right. So, so that all started kind of making sense. Being part of the community and my church, uh, especially this youth group committee, growing up was great. Um, I continued kind of being part of that uh, through college, and eventually decided that I wanted to be a part of that. And I had so much fun being in the youth part of it that I said, "I want to do this. I want to be a youth director. I want to work in a church." and hang out with youth and bring them together and have fun, but also teach them about Christian faith. Uh, and so that led me to seminary. In my tradition, uh, to do a youth director, you don't have to have any special credentials, but I felt it was important to know a little bit more about my tradition and to get some practical, some education about like education techniques and things like that. Uh, I So I went for a very short program, uh, a two-year program, And this was not to be a minister, but then within my first semester at seminary, I'm I'm starting to take some classes. One, it was the first time uh, through high school, through college that I'd ever enjoyed my classes, and I did well without trying as much. (laughs) Uh, And like I, I really loved the academic part of it. And for Presbyterians, that's one of the things we ask our ministers: we ask them to be have studied for seminary, but they. To take a year of Greek, a year of Hebrew, uh, to do some reading and translating from we don't have original texts of the Bible, but the earliest texts we have. Um, and so it was through that academic part that made me want to go on and become a minister hmm. because and I still wanted to work with youth, and I didn't want to necessarily be you know the typical minister person
0: and and so that that's. Wait, what, what do you mean the typical minister person?
1: Um, I wanted to be, like i say I wanted to be a youth director. I wanted, I didn't want to be the guy up on Sunday morning worship, preaching and leading worship, doing a sermon, you know, wearing the robe or the collar and, and you don't do you that. I do now. Um, but early on, I know I focused, I, I did that sometimes but more often. My job was working with the youth or, or teaching classes and I was working under the main minister who did that, okay. Um, so I mean that that that's kind of the the where i that's how I got to where I am, I guess. and and going back to ministers and priests and things like that, um, usually when you say priest, people think of a Catholic priest. There are other traditions that that have their clergy that they call priest uh, episcopal or Anglican, I think is one of those. Um, so yeah. In, in my in my tradition, you're called a minister once you are go through seminary and ordained to serve in this capacity, and then you are your title is pastor of a particular church. So I'm a minister, and then if I'm working at a church at the moment, I'm I'm all the pastor of that church.
0: Okay, are you at the
1: moment? I am. Yeah, I'm in my seventh year at a church here in Indianapolis, in Indiana. And, I, and I'm and i the guy. I Now I am the guy who leads worship every Sunday, preaches a sermon every Sunday.
0: And that's um, something you didn't want to do originally, but you found a love for it? Or is it because... I guess that's another question I want to ask you. Sure. How much of your daily routine and job is administrative stuff that is, you know... I think people might Way think of... too much. Right, right. Because people think of, you know, uh, uh, religious leaders, and they think, you know, talk about God and, and do sermons and perform services for the community and funerals Miracle. and stuff like that. Um, but there's, I'm guessing, like running a church is a lot of paperwork as well.
1: Yeah, I, I will speak for my particular church, and it's not atypical. Um, I don't have a large congregation. You know, we average 40 to 70 on a Sunday morning, and that's not a lot. It's not the same 40 to 70. So of the folks who are kind of regularly involved in our church, there's probably 100, 150. But our church, it also houses uh, a childcare, care, uh, and it houses uh, an adult day services, which is kind of for, for elder older adults— Um, who are not mentally well or physically unwell, their families, their caretakers will drop them off for the day and they'll get physical therapy, they'll get community. Um, But that is a way to say I've got these two full-time organizations, you know, five days a week, eight hours a day uh, in our building. Uh, We've got a part-time secretary, a part-time bookkeeper. So, and we have got a big building. So unfortunately, a lot of my time is a administrator to or a landlord or a building guy. So
0: you're kind of a uh, company, maybe not CEO, but C O O. You operate the, the operation.
1: Sort of. I mean in, in our tradition, we have we call it the session. It's like a board of directors for the church. And it's it's a dozen members in the church and I am the moderator and then they actually are in charge of everything. Okay. about the only thing I really have authority over is what I preach, okay, Everything else they can make the decisions on. Now, practically, they're volunteers. They're not there every day. I am. so yeah, i'm I'm kind of the de facto manager. i'm I'm head of staff of the church. And, you know I oversee the adult day care is run through a different organization. They just lease space, but the child care is our ministry. And so I oversee all their staff and their director. I oversee our music staff, the secretary I do. Mm-hmm our building folks so yeah unfortunately because i don't want to sit behind a desk and do emails all day make phone calls and write papers and deal with crises that come up of with the building but that's that's a significant part of my job
0: so okay i i want to talk back about uh, more about your your actual job but Mm -hmm. getting back to the relatively lax um uh, uh, requirements for for ministers as opposed to Catholic priests. Blacks. Well, I mean, you again. Just, I go back to the so, so celibacy ask, issue.
1: Is it just the sex thing?
0: It well, it's the only one I know. I but imagine there's a lot of other ones.
1: I mean, that's significant. I'm not. I, I'm not going to lie. And, yeah. No, if that was part of me being a minister, that's not what I'm called to. Mm, okay. And I'm, I'm I'm trying to. I'm trying to refrain from. I'm not even going to do it. I was going to make some poor Catholic yeah. joke. You I don't have to. to. You
0: don't have to. No. <laughs>
1: but uh, that's that's uh, yes. Right. Okay. So, but that part of that is, is the theology of the Catholic Church, and I am not an expert in Catholic theology. Mm. But I mean, they they believe that there is a theological significance to the office of priest. Of course, yeah. That we don't believe as Protestants,
0: but I think you know, I think that's kind of what I was trying to allude to, without quite managing to put my finger on it. But there's, it's more than just the 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 sex thing is kind of a, a illustration of something deeper that it feels like priests are almost removed from society in a sense, uh, whereas you are entirely part of society and you share in the uh very common uh you know i don't know how to put it but duties or activities or structures of society as any other uh member of society would the only difference it seems is you are the person that will guide some uh members of your uh community through maybe tough times or, you know, shining a light and all of that. But there's a mystique, I guess that's a way of putting it. There's a mystique about priesthood that my impression is, is kind of absent from your, your, your activity. And maybe it's the whole Presbyterian church, which I, I I don't realize to what extent it is, but uh, is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, I, I think that is. And some of that is cultural, uh, and, and I would guess in the Catholic Church a lot of that is going away anyway. Yeah, you know, when I was in, in my church in Florida, which I think when you and I were podcasting, I think that's where I was. Yes, it was a smaller, it was a more conservative and evangelical church, uh, and we had a number of Jamaican folks in that church, and there was an authority or reverence I was given as the pastor by those folks that I that I haven't received in other churches. Mm. Okay. Yeah, there was one time I, I'm at a. a a dinner party, uh number of folks are 20, 30 folks at one of the homes of one of our Jamaican members. And there, you know, there's food and wine being served. And, you know, so I grabbed a glass of wine and then the host, Marsha comes up to me and she looks at the glass in my hand and says, pastor. <laughs> and I, I didn't realize I, in her view as, as pastor, even though everyone else, she herself was having wine for me to have it was, was not in her view of what a pastor was. So, what did you do? I said, Well, Marsha, everyone else is having it. So, I assumed it was okay for me to have it. And what did she do? Well, I'm the pastor. She's not going to argue with me. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I say that jokingly, but probably there there was truth to that. I mean, Hmm. she probably didn't like it. Um, And had I realized that, would I have had the glass of wine? (sighs) Maybe yes, maybe no. I mean, sometimes there's a point, a place to make a point. Sometimes the, there's a point to be sensitive. <laughs> right. Interesting.
0: Okay, so let's talk a little bit about your daily life uh, and get back into it. How, like, what do you? Let's say a typical day for a minister or a pastor. Actually, since I guess you wear both robes, um, sure. What do you do on a typical day from waking up to going to bed?
1: I wake up at uh, three a.m. Spend Wait, three what? hours on my knees in prayer. Oh, okay. Right.
0: No, that's, you know, the second, I thought maybe you wake up at three and go play some video games. That could have been (laughs) believable, but three hours on your knees in prayer, that doesn't match the Sean I I have in my head as an image.
1: Although, yeah, it's not me. No, I mean, I get up in the morning and, and my wife has to get to work earlier than I do. So I help get the kids ready, help make lunches, make sure they're on the bus in the morning. And then I head in to work, check in with my secretary, and then it's it's looking at my to-do list, answering emails that have to be done first. Ideally, now I'm going to tell you ideally what I'd like to do, and this doesn't always happen. Ideally, then, kind of first thing in the morning, since I'm kind of a morning person, I would like to spend a couple hours looking at my upcoming sermon or sermons beyond that. Um, doing some reading, doing writing, doing research. Um, because you know, I'm 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 called to give you know a TED talk every Sunday. Right. Um, something longer than a TED talk, minor, minor closer to 20 minutes. And it's it's kind of a I don't want to say it's a burden, but doing that every single Sunday, it's like, oh well, I don't have anything else to say. Um <laughs> and I and I want it to be edifying to folks. I want it to be interesting, I want it to be engaging and and sometimes funny and sometimes moving and meaningful. So To me, it's not just what I'm going to say. It's sometimes the easy part is figuring out what I'm going to say. And the hard part is figuring out how I'm going to say it. Uh, and we have a a screen and projector that we use in worship. So I try and find videos to go along with it or or images. Um, so ideally I would like to spend a couple hours every day working on that, looking ahead, thinking about, I do all the communication and publicity for a church. So thinking about. I'm going to let people know what's coming up, putting graphic design together, doing social media and, and website, uh, on not every day, but uh, a couple of times a week, I'm going to go and, and check in with someone of my members. Usually some who are not doing well, you know, we've so got actually more older- go to their house or. Usually not. That used to be kind of the thing that ministers did. They'd just do house calls. A lot of times they wouldn't even ask. They'd just show up. Mm-hmm. Um, but people don't want that. Um, so, no, it's usually I'll schedule something ahead. I'll know someone had knee surgery and they just got home. Hey, can I come out Wednesday and just see how you're doing? Uh, if someone's in the hospital. Uh, so the, sorry, I want uh, to
0: uh, I, I want to dive deeper into that. You Mm -hmm. go to that person's house that just had knee surgery, Mm -hmm. and what happens then? Like, you you bring them something to eat, or you have a chat. You ask how they're doing and what's going on in their life. Like, it's a friendly visit, or is it it a minister? Like, what happens exactly when you go to someone's place?
1: It's probably 80% social and friendly, chit-chatting, how you doing, how the kids, how's your family, you know, what's going on. But it's also, you know, how are you doing? You just had knee surgery. How's it feeling? You know, um, know, I'll always offer prayer at the end, and people kind of expect that. Um, And and I'll say, you know— When you say offer
0: prayer, you mean pray there with them? Yes. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah, I I mean, I'll I'll always end with prayer, just a prayer for for their continued comfort and peace and and healing, even though I don't necessarily believe God works, you know— God's not going to heal someone just because I asked, or God's not going to heal someone because I didn't ask. But we still believe it's important to bring things in prayer a lot of time because it brings things to our attention rather than to God's attention. Hmm. Um, but one of the other important things we'll do is say, what can we do to support you? You know, do you need meals? You know, we've got folks who would be happy to cook you a meal and, and bring it over for a week. Um, do you need someone to to help take you? You know, to the doctor. Can you get there all right? Uh, that's one of the things that churches do that I don't know that a lot of people realize is we're just a community of care. You know, if we know someone's going through a hard time or need some help, I mean, we're there, uh, did a funeral at my church in Florida a number of years ago. And after the funeral, um, in our fellowship hall, you know, the a gathering space in the church. You know, we had all sorts of people from the church just cook and bring food. And we had a big reception and they brought out the good China and there was punch and I Was talking with someone who wasn't a church goer. It's like, who did all this? Do you hire a cater? Like, no, the, the church did that. And they're like, I didn't know you did that. Do you is that special? Do you do that a lot? Like, well, we do it for funerals. <laughs> and but when I mean, you say
0: the church, you mean uh-huh. it's on church funds and church employees or members of the congregation?
1: No, members of the church, yeah. Right. Things like that. It'll just be, you know, it used to be phone calls. Now it's just email. You just email and say, you know. So Can and you so, do this? so who organizes gosh.
0: it? You, you're the one who asks people to do something?
1: No. H- historically, and it still kind of is this, and it's a little sexist, it's, quote, the women of the church. Okay. And sometimes there's a formal organization. Um, my current church, there's not, but for me, it's, it's Julie. I know if we need something, I'll, hey, Julie, this is happening, and she'll put out the word, and... We'll have people show up, and then they'll do it all. So, yeah, I just tell Julie, and it's off off my plate.
0: Okay. Uh, I, you mentioned your wife. Uh, she's a minister too. I understand.
1: She is. She is. She is a minister, but she's not currently a pastor. Okay. Um, we've served together in several churches. She's she's a hospital chaplain now. Okay. And she works here in Indianapolis at at a, a Catholic hospital. Okay,
0: so uh, the morning is underway. You have been thinking about your sermons. You've been visiting a, a couple of people a few times a week. Then there's lunch break. Uh, obviously, you go to McDonald's and watch uh, Netflix on your phone.
1: I do go to McDonald's sometimes. Not as often or more often than I should. According <laughs> right, to my right. Life.
0: That's where I thought but, it was going to go.
1: Um, a lot of times, I just have have my lunch in my office. Um, I mean, there 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 are meetings, you know, and sometimes occasionally be meetings with with other clergy in the community to plan some things. I mean, we we live we live, our church is immediately across the street from a Catholic church, so Father Michael and I will occasionally get together, or more often it's it's a, a larger group of clergy to plan something we. The churches earlier this year planned a series of community dinners along with our neighborhood association. Uh, we had an incident uh, of kind of some some racist, racist action at the end of last year. And we came together with the neighborhood association and said, you know, we don't want this in our neighborhood. You know, what can we do? And, and we did a series of once a month community dinners rotating between churches where we brought speakers in on race. Talk about white privilege to talk about, you know, a, an organization within the community that that's working to, to help, Uh, it's called the 10 point coalition. They, they patrol the streets at night or they go to scenes of murder and try to help deal with the community. Um, so I mean, that's part of what I do. I don't know if there's a whole lot more (laughs) to my day. (laughs) It's already, it's already quite a bit. Um, what? Yeah, I have evening meetings as well. I mean, in the on you know, most churches, unless you're just rolling in the money and can afford a ton of staff, it's volunteers that do most of your work. Mm. So, eh, pretty much every Tuesday night, I'll, I'll have a meeting at the church of one committee or another. Uh, fourth Tuesday of the month, we we field a team at our, our local pub for a quiz night. So that's 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 a fun <laughs> meeting I get to do. Okay. Um, occasionally there's other things like for my, and this is once in my church specific, you know, we march in our, in our local uh, pride parade uh, mm-hmm. every year. And so there's planning for things like that. We did a March for science um, event, participated in it. So there's planning those other things. We have a university real close to us. And so uh, I'll help, you know, I'll, I'll bring dinner to their student council sometimes They have an interfaith student council, which has many different faiths, even atheists that come together to talk about religion. And and as a church, we'll just feed them dinner some night.
0: It's funny because I think what you're describing is a, a, a concept that is pretty common in the U.S., but we don't really have in France or really not much in any European countries I visited, which is community organizer. And community leader, and right is would that accurately describe what you do or what churches do?
1: That would accurately describe what we should do. Okay. Um, The reality is most pastors and church folk, church leaders, end up planning more for their own congregation, their own people. Uh, We're trying, but that's a form of community. I mean, that it is, but the church doesn't exist. Some people, there's someone who said, and I, the church is the only exist organization that exists for, doesn't exist for their members. Like mm-hmm. ideally the church is, there's there's a, there's a hokey little video out there that says, is your church like a cruise ship? You know, do you expect the, you expect to pay your ticket and people to wait on you and get good service? Or is your church like a battleship? Are you part of the crew? Are you on a mission? Are you out to go out there? Mm. And I don't like the military image of the church. But ideally, the church is not about paying your fees and coming in and getting goods for your your money. I mean, ideally, the church is about you serving God and serving your neighbor. Right. So you're coming in not to be taken care of, but to learn how to take care of others, especially the community around you. Mm. Now, historically, we've done a poor job of that. And and our church in particular, we're we're trying to figure out how to reverse that. You know, We've recently sent people out to the community to talk to business owners and neighbors and people in the university and service providers and say, what's going on in the community? What needs do you see? And and how do you think a church could help? And so we're we're kind of doing a specific focus right now on trying to address kind of the anxiety that people have in their life, daily stress and anxiety, and then also some mental wellness issues, mental health and figuring out what role does a church have to play in promoting mental wellness in our community. And, and we don't know yet. We're kind of figuring that out still, but we're trying.
0: Um, you didn't talk about, um, your children. How, I mean, that's a silly question, but how involved are you in your children's lives? That's not, it, it doesn't sound right. Uh, I guess when you get back from home, from work, um, you're taking care of the children and like once work is done, what, what do you do? I, I guess is a better question. Sorry if I'm focusing on the children so much, but as you mentioned, I, I have a 10-month-old and essentially that has it, it engulfed my entire life. So that's where
1: my yeah. mind goes to. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't stop. It morphs. It changes. There, there's different phases, but they they always engulf your life in some way, shape, or form. Um, yeah, I mean, fortunately, my job right now, I don't have a ton of evening meetings. About once a week, sometimes twice. So yeah, I can be home for dinner every night. We live close to the church, so even when I do have a meeting, I'm home. Um, depending what's going on, you know, I'll cook dinner. My wife will cook dinner. Uh, the kids are around. You know, they get they get home from school about five. And at that point it it it's homework and then if they get their homework done then they get to go play video games or play on the tablet or watch TV. And so while they're we're doing getting supper ready, they're doing that. We all eat supper and and then kind of our thing in the evening is is we watch shows. You know, we're kind of working our way through Shield or Doctor Who right now. Sherlock is another one. Shield
0: with your 13-year-olds? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I mean, guess, there's
1: yeah. there there's some moments, but mm. it's not too bad. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's prime time. It's not cable TV, right or Netflix. <laughs> um,
0: so that and,
1: and my son and I, my my son, I've kind of, for better or worse, shaped him in my image. He's a geek, and he's a he's a gaming geek. So mm-hmm. he loves video games. He loves board games. Uh, our thing right now, and has been for the past year or so, is Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, a lot of Wednesday nights, we're at our, our family game store, uh, playing Adventures League Dungeons and Dragons with other folks. we have We have some some friends that we bring into our home to do that. that's it's just
0: so far removed from the image of uh you know, a priest or religious leader that I have. And again, this is probably because most of my uh, surroundings. There are priests rather than ministers, but again, I come back to that I- that idea that priests are a little bit removed from society, even though they are probably even they them are a lot less removed from society than I make it up in my mind. Uh, but yeah, you're what you're describing is just regular dad, which might actually it leads me to the question: What do your children? How do you know how your children relate to? religion and the idea of being the children of two ministers. Um, I guess that's totally normal in the U.S. Um, but I, yeah, here it would be a bit, not weird, that's the wrong word, but...
1: Atypical. A little bit, yeah. Yeah. Um, we try as hard as we can not to make them think poorly of the church. I mean, they, they've always, <laughs> especially when both Carrie and I were to the church they always had to come early and sit around and hang around a lot. You know, worship may start at 11, but we needed to be there at nine. So they got to hang out in our office. And usually that was you know, on a tablet or a computer of some sort. So they really didn't mind. Um, but we tried not to put any extra pressure on them because they're our, our kids um, that being said, you know, they, they will hear us talk about the church and church like any human organization has its ups and downs and, like any work situation, you talk about the frustrating things usually a little bit more about than the positives. So it's possible they've got a little more kind of inside view of church that's not as as pleasant. Um, but we also try and show them how it's a positive thing and what the good things it's done for us. And
0: how involved for are they in in the church? Like, do they come to mass every Sunday? Or
1: yeah, yeah, we all we all go to to worship on Sunday, so they're there every Sunday. Um, they've got during the school year, they've got Sunday school, which is, you know, just before church. It's just kind of a a gathering of a few of the kids. We don't have very many kids in our church, but what kids we do, they gather together with the, with the great guy who, uh, uh, teaches them every Sunday. So, yeah, I mean, what they think about church and faith, um, it's kind of on a spectrum. I mean, demographically speaking, you know, every, at least in America, I don't know, I'm sure it's worldwide, every, every generation is getting farther and farther from the church. And, you know, I, I can't say that our kids are going to be the exception to that. I hope so. But I and mean, if they are, it's not the end of the world.
0: So if, if your kids um, tell you, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to make this, you know, uh, believer versus atheist, but... Uh, Just out of, it's really out of curiosity. Uh, No, I'm just, I'm just wondering if your you know, if your daughter comes to you one day and says, you know what, dad, I'm kind of, I think this whole God thing is a little bit weird and I'm not sure, I'm not quite sure I believe in it anymore. Um, What I'm guessing you would be disappointed, but you're you're such a liberal person you probably be oh it's fine he loves you anyway whatever uh go have fun um but i'm curious what your reaction would be
1: um one i would be thrilled that she came and told it to me in such a polite manner Uh, (laughs) you don't think she would (laughs) yeah no i'm just i'm just you know teenagers right Let's father. Let's have a discussion about religion and faith. <laughs> well, I, I was
0: I was thinking maybe you know she's twenty two or twenty three, yeah. and you know she's.
1: Oh no, we've already had that discussion. I mean, okay. Um, no, I wouldn't be disappointed. I mean, part part of me, just given the reality of, of the church in America, especially mainline Protestant, which we Presbyterian is kind of a part of we have done a horrible job at reaching younger generations. We have not changed kind of the the basic form of the church in a hundred years. We're singing songs that are hundred, hundreds of years old on an instrument that is that old and and their liturgy, what goes on in worship hasn't changed. So part of me says, I can't blame you because the church has done such a poor job of representing a great faith to you. But see, that's where it doesn't, match my image
0: and there's always that you know conflict between modernizing the church and the truth of the uh uh message and the maybe not even the message but it form is part of that like if you keep changing everything and i'm sure you know the reformation is 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 part of that debate is it really what is left of the original true message or well you
1: have to separate the message from the method.
0: Yes, but if you change it so much that you don't retain any of the tenets because you have to admit I you don't message. have to but no but I mean what you're preaching is very hmm. removed from uh the you know the the Christian Catholic faith and you you just shaped one day one guy woke up and he was like "Ah, i don't think that works so much and so we're gonna do it like this rather and i understand the intent for this and the reasoning but i do wonder looking at it from outside okay so what does it even mean if you can just shape it differently to 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 adapt it to today's world I, I'm not doing a good job at expressing it, but it's no, something no, very you, common, so I, I'm sure people get it, and I hope you do. The but.
1: question is, how are you shaping it? I mean, one of the things as Presbyterians and other people in the Reformed tradition believe, uh, one, of, one of the the catchphrases is, Sempo Reformando, always reforming. The mm. Church reformed and always reforming. But it's, how is it reforming? Is it reforming just because you want it to, just because culture wants it to, or is it reforming because as you pray and study and talk in the community of faith, you're realizing, Hey, this would actually be, a. Um, we think this would actually be a more genuine expression of Christianity. Somewhere along the way, we kind of got off the rails and we thought having an organ in church, that was church. Well, I can guarantee you, Jesus and the early followers, they didn't have an organ in their church. They didn't have a <laughs> church building. Right. I mean, part of it is this is nothing new. I mean the the church of the year 100 didn't look exactly like what Jesus taught the church of the year 500 didn't look of the year 100 you know what we are doing today looks nothing like the early church
0: so you're so, you're trying to interpret the core the essence of whatever you can glean of the message no understanding yeah. that the form is probably Maybe even I might go as far as to say that it doesn't really matter all that much. The form isn't... I mean,
1: obviously, if it's doing bad yeah. things, then it matters, but... Well, then then that's about the message, not the method. Right. The, yeah, I mean, and I will be the first to admit, we're trying to figure out, you know, if if you're looking back to Jesus, what a guy thousands of miles away from our culture, thousands of years away, meant... And you're trying to figure out what he meant and what he said and what his his intentions were. And uh, that's almost an impossible task.
0: Mm. You said a guy.
1: Isn't that some
0: kind of blasphemy?
1: No. I guess he was a man. Yeah. Now, if I would say he was only a guy. Right, right, right. But yeah, I mean, no, we fully, I mean, one of the things the church has done a poor job of is lifting up the humanity of Jesus. He was a guy. He peed. He pooped. Probably had (laughs) wet jeans. You know, I'
0: tem- ha- so I'm half tempted to to title this episode he peed he pooped, but I won't <laughs> um, but it, no, but you make you make a good point that's that's something I honestly didn't consider very much but um so yeah, g- getting back if you, to if you want
1: a fun fun book that goes kind of irreverently in that direction and I can't think of the guy's name. the book is called Lamb mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christopher something, Christopher Moore. Yeah, it's just kind of a tongue in cheek, but sort of good telling of Jesus and his best friend Biff, I think is his name or something like that. Okay. and and yeah, one of the one of the things they bemoan all throughout is that they can't eat bacon.
0: That is a little bit uh, unfortunate. I agree.
1: But but it explores in a fun but sometimes thought-provoking way that that human side of Jesus.
0: Okay, so your your daughter says, "Hey, you know, I'm not sure I believe in it," and you're you were saying, uh, "Maybe the church should adapt to more." I, you know, my first reaction um, when you when you said this was, "Well, you're not going to start rapping your sermons," but then your reference to you know the organ that Jesus didn't have. Uh, it kind of makes sense. There's no reason you couldn't do it differently, and yeah.
1: And I don't know how true this is, but but I've heard that some of the early hymn tunes that we use that are now hundred-year-old classics. These these very reverent things were originally bar tunes. Whether that's true or not, I don't know. But, okay. but yeah, no. I mean, we we should. We don't. You you want to be authentic and engaging, folks. You don't ever want to do something that's just like. Uh Will Farrow and Sherry O'Teir on Saturday Night Live used to do this old couple thing. They'd go into schools and do these school assemblies with music and they'd like, hey kids, and right, yeah. right, yeah. Obviously. Um, um, yeah, if my if my daughter said that. So I don't know that I would be disappointed. I'm certainly not disappointed in her. Um I might be disappointed that it happened. But then yeah, I would gauge her, like, okay, tell me. So what is this God you don't believe in? Because it's very possible I may not believe in that God either. I mean, that's something that happens all the time. It's like, well, I don't believe in a God who would do this or let this happen or let this. I'm like, wow, I don't believe in that God either.
0: Well, I was going to, you know, the kind of absolute I don't believe in God, period. Not, you know, I don't believe in this God or that God. Sure.
1: But. And, and if it was just, and my son's more likely to do this, if he would say it, it just doesn't intellectually make sense. Mm. Yeah, I, I would, I would be, I would say, I'm right there with you. It does not intellectually make sense to me. You know, I, I am, I'm totally a product of the Enlightenment. I, I like rational, logical things. Why am I still a Christian? On uh, some days, it, it's, you know, I, I ask that self my same question. But there's just a part of me that I can't explain it. Maybe it's just brainwashing when I was young. But there's a part of me that that just, I don't know. And the other for me, it's still the community, though. I will always come back to the power of the community. And and some people will say it doesn't matter whether there's a God or not because there's a community that is centered around that God and and the teachings. And hmm. I get a little iffy once we reduce Christianity simply to a set of teachings that some dude came up with a couple thousand years ago or even several dudes, maybe Hmm. a few dudettes
0: yeah i mean you the, the the i agree your your uh faith seems so um it's very convenient in if you're a uh uh more intellectually rational minded person it it's kind of there is nothing it seems from what i understand that you can't kind of reconcile with uh a, a, a more you know, intellectual trials with, you know, there, as you said, there isn't like heaven isn't necessarily a place you don't quite know. There's a lot of vagary that means you don't have to. And I don't mean that in a, in a negative sense at all. I hope people don't take it like that, but you don't have to kind of take its stance on, well, this is how it is. And, and this thing that it is, is provably false right? Or or provably, or not provably, but intellectually difficult to reconcile with what we know. Um, so, yeah, it seems like it's it's easier to, um, invo- to, to integrate in your life than maybe some other types of faith, if you're uh, prone to doubt, I guess.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there are two ways to approach it. I mean, some people want a faith that is black and white. They just want their faith to say, this is right, this is wrong, this is what you believe, this is what you don't. And for some people, that's reassuring, and that suits them well, until it doesn't. Um, But for me, I, I have this tension of, yeah, I've got some pretty strong things that I think I believe and I don't believe, and sometimes that butts head up against my Christian faith and I, and especially intellectually, I'm like, how can there this be this eternal God and what does God like? And does God actually have a will or is it just more this kind of universal force? And there are certainly days I'm like, it makes much more sense, you know, go to the Occam's razor thing. The simplest explanation is there's no God. Although then I wonder where matter came from, but if there's a God, I wonder where God came from. But so anyway, (laughs) but, but for me at the end of the day, why I need Christian faith or at least the Christian community is going back. I don't trust myself in a vacuum alone to make good moral decisions. I mean, generally, yes, but I'm going to have blind spots. I'm going to need people to educate me and correct me and call me out when I'm doing something I shouldn't have. And I'm not saying the Christian church or community of faith is the only people who will do that, but they may be the only people organized to do that i mean we all have social networks and twitter will be very quick to call you out when you you publicly stray but i like the fact that when it's working as it should a community of faith is there to help you be the best person you can be according to the beliefs and the morals that 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 are important to you and yeah, for me that, that's that's comes down to the end of the day is I I have this certain understanding of right and wrong and justice and compassion and empathy and left on my own, I'm going to do a poor job living into that. Mm. Put me in the Christian community. They will help me do a better job of that.
0: That's interesting. It's very, uh, it's, it's very beautiful the way you, you put it. So, Um, okay. uh, So before we conclude the show, I do want to ask you about your sermons um and how you you touch on this a little bit earlier but i i want to know more um how you come up with them what do they consist of and you know maybe if you can give us a few examples of in the past few years things that have inspired you or not inspired you but you something happened in the world and you thought i have to talk about this on sunday uh and sometimes Things that were difficult to talk about and you didn't know how to approach or, you know, because I'm guessing this is the one that has the most, maybe not the most important, but the deepest impact or the deepest significance in your job. Because that's a time every week when you tell the people that follow your faith, kind of, not maybe not teach right from wrong, but... It's your TED talk, and that's a big thing yeah. every week.
1: Yeah. And if you think about that, that's really weird. I mean, what other place do people come together to hear oftentimes the same person exhort them week after week? I mean, yeah. that that's just really that's that's kind of unique in our society. Whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, I don't know. And, you know, I think we need to move towards models of sermons that are actually more participatory and in dialogue rather than just one one person speaking but
0: um well you were talking about social media earlier i would urge you not to go that route because if you give everyone a voice then you end up with a cacophony so
1: yeah <laughs> yeah yeah but yeah i get your point um one thing is so there there some ministers will preach off what they call the lectionary, which is a, a three-year cycle of scriptures. That, okay, on this Sunday, here are four scriptures you can choose from on this Sunday, the next Sunday. And the idea is that over those three years, they cover a larger portion of scripture, important things. They're timed with Christmas and Easter. Um, I used to do that. And so it would just okay, what scriptures are available to me to the Sunday? Okay, here's this one. As I read it, what message is coming out? Okay, that's what I'll preach. Um, the way I do it now more as topical, I look ahead and say, okay, is there a topic that I feel people want to hear about, need to hear about? Um, and and we'll kind of say, okay, so I will spend four weeks doing this. I will spend three weeks doing this. Uh, at the beginning of January, I'm going to... And, and a lot of ministers do this. And a lot of ministers will make their material available. And so I'm going to be doing a sermon series based on—I will write my own sermons, but it will be based around a series of sermons that uh, Reverend Adam Hamilton in uh, Church of the Resurrection in Kansas City did called Unafraid. And it's dealing with kind of the fear and the anxiety that's kind of part of our daily lives and how, as Christians, we can look at that. And so I'll spend a few weeks on that. Uh, Another series I did actually by the same guy— he did a great sermon series called Half-Truths, Things the Bible Doesn't Say. And it was things like taking sayings like, God helps those who help themselves. Hmm. That's something that people will often attribute to the Bible that's nowhere near in the Bible. And it's actually counter to what the Bible says. Really? Or It's not in the Bible? No, I want to say that might may have been like Benjamin Franklin. I can't <laughs> remember if that was the one. <laughs> no, I mean— I would say the Bible says God helps those who can't help themselves. But, you know, when you are at your worst, that is exactly the moment that God is there for you when no one else is. Um, I've done a, a sermon series on the big questions. Uh, and I would take a, a question that people ask about Christianity Is the Bible true? Um, is science the enemy of faith? Is there a hell? So it just depends. So I tend to do more topical. Now, every now and then there comes something that happens in the news that I have to throw out what I was going to preach that Sunday and rewrite a sermon. Uh, the sad thing is that used to be mass shootings. Uh, but now if I changed my sermon, every time there's a mass shooting, I'd be doing that monthly. But yeah, there was a time where, you know, this horrible thing happened, you know, in Arizona and all these people shot in Orlando and in Vegas. And that's on everyone's mind, so how can I not preach about that? How can I do my, what sermon I was going to be doing, and I do that? So um, so what do you say when that happens? Oh, gosh. At first it was, how do we make sense of it? How can there be this evil in the world? Um, as I go on, and it happens over and over, it's what do we do about it? You know, what is our role in, in trying to not make sense of it, but, you know. There's a about it. Yeah, there's a quote, and I can't remember exactly how it goes. But essentially, you know, the the question for Christians is isn't why God allowed this evil to happen, or why did this evil happen? Is what are we going to do about it? Um, with the rise of Trump, uh, I have felt the need occasionally to address specific actions of our president, um, which which gets into dicey territory. But you know, after the first immigration ban. Yeah, you know, I, I felt I couldn't ignore that, and rather than preach about the immigration ban, I, I preached about the attitude behind it. It's like you know, a lot of this comes out of this fear of the other, and and this this dehumanizing of immigrants. And regardless of what you think policy wise we should do, that attitude is so unChristian. And I may have lost a member or two over that, but uh, oh well.
0: So. What happens when, that is not part of the questions I, I wanted to ask, but when, what happens when you have that division that is so incredibly strong and prominent in, in the U.S. right now that seeps into your congregation? Um, I, I don't know if it happened or if, or
1: if it didn't, but if it did, how do you deal with that? Well, I'm, I'm fortunate that the church I serve right now is a fairly good match for me politically and theologically. And part of that is intentional. Our our church that we served in Florida before this was not a good match. We knew that going in, but we didn't realize how much of an issue it would become.
0: Okay, so let's talk about that. Okay. How did it become an issue?
1: Um, It it was a definitely more evangelical conservative church, and we were not. My wife and I were co-pastors there. And at that time, our denomination... Uh, was was debating whether or not you can be gay and be a minister. And they decided they could while we were there. And our congregation didn't like that. And our congregation, for the most part, didn't like that Carrie and I supported that.
0: How did that um, take form? So, if I, I don't want to pry, but I'm sure. you
1: know, curious no, no, how no, that's these fine. things work. Um, there were people who, who wanted us fired. Um, that didn't get traction. Uh, a number of people left the church and that that hurt our budget. I mean, they were people who supported the church financially, um, and and actually Carrie's position had to be eliminated, so she ended up losing her job over it. Um, so when we were searching in the Presbyterian Church, we don't get appointed to. We do It's kind of like a job interview. The church interviews you. You interview them. You decide mutually. Hey, yes, we want to be together. Kind of a dating service, I guess. <laughs> and when uh, you
0: say the church interviews you, it's the the people who come to church.
1: A committee. We're we're all about committees in okay. uh, the Presbyterian Church. So yes, it's a it's a committee of folks appointed by our board of directors. Uh, and we were very upfront when we searched. You know, we you put out kind of a resume kind of thing, and we said this is where we are theologically, politically. Um, we don't need everyone to agree with us, but we you need to know we're not going to hide this. And so if that makes you uncomfortable, you're probably not the church for us.
0: But so. The, the the Presbyterian church, you uh-huh. said there's a lot of voting and all of this, and the Presbyterian church decided you can be gay and be a minister. Yes. But the church you were at before, the members didn't like that.
1: Right. What what the church decided at that time, actually, was that— and this, this speaks a lot to how we organize— is that each church could decide. Ah, okay. So, um, oh. you know— and a number of churches, and this is happening in, in many different denominations in America and worldwide, churches are wrestling with this issue, and and it's causing splits and people to leave the church. And we lost a number of churches from the Presbyterian denomination at that time, okay. which has moved us a little bit further to the left. I mean, we 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 are we recognize same sex marriage now, um, and I say for my church, that's not really an issue. We're we're yeah, you know, we have a, a banner we put out sometimes with the rainbow flag on it, and yeah, you mentioned
0: you in participate parade. in in the pride parade. Yeah,
1: yeah. So it's not an issue for our church. There, there are a few folks in it who it sort of is, but they understand they're in the minority, and then they're not making waves. And they're they're managing
0: to reconcile their. I mean, they're saying, okay, you know, I I don't think that's right, but I understand the majority decided this, so fine, whatever, and they just maybe won't come to a wedding between two people of the same sex, or, like, it doesn't transform into
1: an open conflict. Right, it doesn't. I mean, at, at this point, I mean, one, it's not the center of who we are. For some right. churches, it is. Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's one of many things, and there are plenty of other things about the church that these people like. You know, they've been part of the church, they have relationships, they like the fact that we're we're you know, have a strong tutoring program at a local urban school and they would help with cub scouts there you know things like that so okay like i i could deal with that as long as we're doing these good things okay
0: all right well i i think i've kind of i think i ran out of questions uh we i get the sense that i have a better idea a better vision of what you do and and what being a minister, a Presbyterian minister,
1: means in your All right, so I have a question case. for you,
0: Patrick. Sure.
1: If you die today, do you know where you go? Do you want to accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior?
0: <laughs> I would, Sorry. I, <laughs> I mean, I think that's the tragedy of, um, of people who don't believe in God. I think it's—I would love— to believe in God. You know, it's so much more reassuring. I don't want to say easier because I don't I don't think it's easy, but it feels so much better starts, than thinking harder. I'm sorry?
1: I would argue it's harder.
0: Sure. I think for some people it's harder, for some people it it might be uh uh more, you know, the the comfort that it brings uh to to know that you're going to go somewhere, even if you don't know quite what it is, and you're going to be with your loved ones or at least feel their presence. And, you know, that's reassuring. For me, I, I, what I currently think, I'm not, you know, 100%, but I'm guessing that's it. You're just dead in the ground. And that's not a happy thought, you know. It, I mean, I understand that it doesn't matter to me once I'm dead because I'm dead. Um, right. But, it's still... but it still matters to you now
1: yeah exactly
0: so I would love to accept uh, Jesus Christ as my love and savior except I can't and I, I I have a you know I have a lot of respect for uh the church and religious institutions in general to the point that I have a hard time um like th- there are things like um when you get married, if you're... The the question was uh, raised when I got married because I got married. My wife is a, is a Christian. Um, and we got married in a church. And I was a little bit apprehensive about what the church would ask of me in order to allow us to um, get married there. And I was, I was very apprehensive because I didn't want to be dishonest. So if I was asked sure. to say things that I didn't believe in or that I would be asked to do things in the future that I didn't want to do uh, or that I knew I wouldn't do, it would be a real problem because I didn't want to lie or be dishonest just to get married because whatever, there isn't even a God. So who cares? There's still a level of, and that's very personal. I'm sure, you know, different people think different things, but there's a level of respect that I don't want to be, um, I don't want it to be offensive to the people that believe in this if I do something willy nilly and and not respectfully, you know, so there were sure. these questions that were um, hanging around, and yeah, I, I that doesn't really have anything to do with your question, but I guess what it, where it does is I can, I would love to believe in in God, but I can't out of respect for God and for me, it's kind of weird, oh, sure. but you know.
1: Sure. No, I, th- I mean, I don't think that's weird at all. I think that's that's normal. Mm. The only thing I meant about it being harder is, I think if you truly gonna say, hey, this Christianity stuff makes sense, there's a lot of hope and reassurance in it, but there's a lot that's asked of you. Like, it sucks to be told to turn the other cheek. Mm. It sucks to be able to be told that, you know, we're called to forgive people. I mean, Christianity, if if you're doing it right, it's hard and, and it's much easier sometimes just like I am the, I I'm a generally an okay person, but when I drive, I am the least Christian person there is. <laughs> and and I, I feel bad about that. I'm like, okay, yeah, I should let this guy over. Who's trying to merge around me at the last minute. I should let him in. That's the Christian thing to do, but what an asshole. I can't believe he's <laughs> trying to sort of in. So no way I'm laying him in. So and you that's don't. all I meant about no comment okay <laughs> so that's all I meant about it it being harder. Right. not that you can't hold yourself to a high moral standard without right. faith because you absolutely can right right but if you if you do the christianity thing right, it ain't easy
0: i I think there would be a whole episode uh to 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 do about that and how you can try to to do it anyway, and how you can um I think uh, for a lot of people a lot of people don't understand how atheists can be atheists because they think there's uh, uh you know it's difficult to be moral uh without that compass and I think there would be a whole episode to to do about that as well um right, and maybe silly. dispelling this idea I don't know I mean I, I think it's silly because I understand the way I work but I think if you've grown up in a in a system where moral is assimilated to a certain right. system of beliefs, I think it's very easy to think if you take away that system of beliefs, if the the morality goes away with it. The morality right. and a whole lot of other things as well.
1: Um, right, it's very easy if you're you're raised in a faith, and that's all you know to assume that's why you have your moral compass.
0: Right. And I think a lot of people throughout the world, and I'm not just talking about the U.S., but the majority of the world is religious. Um, and religion plays, a, and faith uh-huh. in particular, plays a very large part in, in societies and communities throughout the world. So even though Atheism, atheist people are more and more numerous, we're still the minority even though, I, maybe I should have looked that up, but this is not the point of this show but I'm wondering if there aren't more I think more, you're right I'm wondering if there aren't more atheists in the US than any other you know, religion, or not other religion because atheism
1: isn't right, no, no that's not the case that is okay. the fastest growing religion, if you will, in the right. US but it's, it's not a majority, yet, yeah. Okay. Maybe a plurality um, soon. I can't, I'm not sure. Mm,
0: well, yeah, and that's that's a whole different thing. But I'm reminded as well of a, a number of friends who were telling me, American friends, who were telling me, you know, I don't really believe in God, but I can't really say that to anyone. And, and it, it, was, it, it was very interesting um, to speak to them because they felt like they could speak to me and it was like a pressure valve because obviously, because I'm, I'm you know, in France, we have a lot of... Anyway, that's a whole lot. That's a Correct. whole different discussion. And this is not what, what this is about. But, uh, um, yeah. So, is there anything you would like to uh, add? Maybe something I missed uh, or you would like to say before we conclude the show?
1: I don't think so. I think you were very thorough in your questions. and <laughs> You know? I try to grill me a little bit more. I was looking for that every now and then I go back and listen to a how I wow episode. And sometimes there's those Patrick moments of just asking that, that hard question. <laughs> it's like, Oh, did he really say that? Well, you know,
0: I, I, I like to think and feel that I've grown as a podcaster. And I also like to think that, um, I, I try to understand what the show is really about and i mean the individual episodes and sometimes questions that come to the minds of listeners and sometimes people tell me oh you should have said this or asked this and sure and i i think sometimes the question that comes to your mind isn't necessarily something that will serve the purpose of that discussion right it's something yeah. that you want to say but you can't lose focus of you can't lose sight of um the ultimate goal of this specific discussion. And there will be places and occasions for talking about these other things uh, as well, and they will be addressed then. So maybe that's why I'm being uh, kind, angelic Patrick, as opposed to uh, devilishly handsome and devilishly uh, mischievous Patrick. Although, you have, to be fair... You have
1: matured well. <laughs>
0: I was going to say, to be fair, I'm always devilishly handsome. Um,
1: okay. Okay. <laughs> that is true. That is true, <laughs> and it's not just the scarf.
0: <laughs> well, that is as good a conclusion as any uh, to this episode. So, thank you very much, Sean, uh, for being on the show. You you mentioned you have a Twitter account. Uh, maybe you want to give it now for people who who might want to get in touch with you.
1: Sure, it is it is incredibly creative. Uh, it is Sean Coons, <laughs> S-H-A-W-N-C-O-O-N-S and it the, be kind.
0: Link, <laughs> the link will be in the show notes. I'm sure everyone will be extremely kind. Um,
1: I expect nothing else from your listeners.
0: <laughs> I'm not Patrick on, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find this show at frenchspin.com. Please feel free to come uh, on the article for this episode and uh, leave a comment. If you have something to say, if you have something to add, or uh, if we said something you disagree with, feel free to come and let us know. Uh, and if you enjoy the show, please also feel free to contribute financially to the show at patreon.com slash Club. The link is also in the show notes. You can go there and subscribe in literally two minutes if you are not uh, a Patreon member. And if you are, it will take you like, 15 seconds and uh you this is the way i uh, finance the show so if you enjoy it if it brings something to you please do consider maybe throwing a couple of bucks uh, our way thank you very much to the people who already do that's going to be it for us we will be back uh i hope towards the end of the month we'll see with the holidays if we manage to do an episode um and we'll talk more about the world that would be interesting thanks a lot talk to you soon